Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of Land Grant in Conversation. My name is Matt Timonini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I am in conversation with one of the absolute best voices on the Buckeye beat and someone who I think is invaluable to helping fans understand what is going on with the Ohio State football team, Doug Lee Maurice. For over a decade, Doug worked at the Cleveland Plain Dealer and then its online sibling, Cleveland.com. But at the start of this football season, he moved over to be a part of the podcast. If you are unfamiliar, it is a growing podcast network that features Doug's old Cleveland.com colleague, Bill Landis, as well as Austin Ward and Jeremy Birmingham, amongst others. Doug and the rest of the crew have some very exciting things that they are going to be doing with that podcast feed, not only looking at the Buckeye football team, but also football north of the Mason-Dixon line in general. We get into all of that. But of course, we do break down what Bill saw in the season opening win over the Indiana Hoosiers as well. I ask him if he thinks that the quarterback competition is essentially over, why head coach Ryan Day might have made it seem that he was going to get Devin Brown in quite a bit more than he actually did during the game. Talked a little bit about the defense and the wide receivers and much, much more. Now, before we get into that audio, if you are listening to this episode somewhere other than a podcast feed in which you already subscribe to us, please go ahead and subscribe. It would really mean a lot to us. That way you can get every single new episode from the Land Grant Podcast Network downloaded as soon as it is released. And if you wouldn't mind, we would love for you to give us a five-star rating and review. We're really trying to work hard at pulling up our rating. There are still some negative things in those review from years gone by, long before the current staff here at the Land Grant Podcast Network was running things. So we would really appreciate it if you could help us bring that up. All right, with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Doug Maurice. All right, Doug, I think it's pretty obvious where we have to start. I know you and Bill discussed this on the post game show, and I, I know I said it during Twitter, but like 
even though Ryan Day kind of denied it in his postgame press conference, the quarterback battle is over, isn't it? Boy, felt like he didn't trust Devin Brown to put him in that game. So I don't I don't know how you come back from that and are like, no, yeah, Devin Brown's going to start against Notre Dame. So, um, I mean, Youngstown State is such a different deal. You know, Indiana is incompetent and not even willing to try on offense, but they're a real defensive team and they kind of always have been under Tom Allen. So that was a real, a real test. Youngstown state's not going to offer that Western Kentucky is going to throw the ball around, but they're not going to be the same kind of test defensively. So um, a, a listener, longtime listener sent me a message that I thought was pretty astute, which is sort of one of those, when you're in the fire, it kind of makes you realize what you think. And this person compared it to like you're dating somebody and then you get engaged. And when you're engaged, you're like, oh, man, I actually don't know if I want to marry this person. So I think Ryan Day was maybe sort of dating two people at once. And then he got into it and he was like, oh, yeah, no. In the heat of the battle, I know who my true love is. It's Kyle McCord. Like, that's who I trust. So. I don't know how you wind up at Devin Brown. Doesn't mean Devin Brown's not going to play the next two games, but I think he his his heart maybe told us what his mind maybe didn't even know, which is I think Kyle McCord's Ohio State's quarterback. And it did seem like there was a bit of a change in what Ryan Day allowed Kyle McCord to do right around halftime. I think he still seemed to have a few training wheels on, especially in the first half. And I don't know if that was Ryan Day or if it was just Kyle trying to get himself comfortable, but it seemed like a little bit more of the playbook opened up in the second half, started to make a few kind of different throws and different reads in the second half. Do you think that there might have been either just some comfort from Accord or maybe perhaps more like what you're talking about, maybe a little bit more comfort from Ryan Day saying like, okay, this is the guy we're going to see what actually he can do, even if that does not fully incorporate Emeka Ekbuka and, and Marvin Harrison Jr. into the game plan? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like how how much of the playbook are you using when maybe the two best receivers in college football combined for five catches for 34 yards or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. I, and I think, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but like comfort and a check on the offensive line, I think is part of this too, that it's, it's always difficult to run your offense. If you're not sure you can block it to run the offense. And so I think that's part of it. Obviously there were a couple things, you know, a Marv pass interference play, the touchdown that got called back because Marvin stepped out of bounds you know, some other things, some shots that might have been there that Kyle didn't take. The, the thing that's hard for me is looking around the college landscape. I think there were just a lot of offenses that you could see against inferior opponents, against better opponents than Indiana on the attack, doing what they did best, getting after it. And even when they opened it up a little bit more in the second half, I still never felt like Ohio State was really, truly on the attack. Yes, new offensive line. Yes, new quarterback. Yes, we understand all of that. But the situation is the situation. And so our standards are so high for an aggressive, fearsome Ohio State offense that even though I think there was improvement on the offensive line and with the quarterback play in the second half, it still wasn't the Buckeyes were used to. And of course, we know why, but also you're trying to compare it to what other people have, what other people are doing. And it's just like it didn't stack up in week one. And I think that's interesting to say, talking about comparing it to other teams in the country, because I think it's nearly impossible to compare this team to pre even previous Ohio State teams with C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields under Ryan Day, because while there are still quite a few offensive weapons, I, I don't know that anybody expects Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, for that matter, I suppose, to be the exact same type of quarterback as the two that preceded him. Do you think that 
what, like, let's say the, the Georgia game last year, do you think it's possible for this offense, knowing the limitations that they have on the offensive line and the quarterback position, at least so far through week one, to get to a level where Ryan feels comfortable calling plays like that? Because it just felt to me like you, you said he didn't trust Evan Brown. I don't feel like he really trusted anybody, even Kyle yeah. McCord. Um, so it, it just it seems like a large leap for me to get to a point where Ryan Day can go all out no holds barred like he has like he's done in the college football playoff against Clemson and Georgia with this team, despite the fact that they have the best wide receivers in the country and seemingly a three headed monster at running back as well. Yeah, and I'm I don't mean to sound like a ference here, but they are everything is connected, right? So on one hand, I don't know that they'll ever get there this year to where they were in year two of CJ Stroud, right? To where they were in 2022. Yeah. I don't think that's a reasonable expectation. But if the run game's better, if the defense is better, if other parts of the team is are better, like that's not the standard. You're, we're caught, the best comparison for Ohio State is itself, but that doesn't mean their offense this season needs to be as good as last season because I think it's reasonable to think right. the defense will be better and the run game because it will be healthier, even with an unsure offensive line. The backs you have, I mean, I just you think the run game's going to be better, so. The answer is like, no, I don't think they'll even by the end of the year get to there, but they don't have to. But they do they do have to be more dangerous. They do have to just get the ball out of the quarterback's hands and get it to the receivers more. They just they have to incorporate a Mecca Buka yards after the catch more. They have to, you know, to single up Marv and move. You know, we really I think a lot of us expected Marvin. I mean, Marvin Harrison talked about it. Mm-hmm. That he was going to move around the field, be in the slot, be in motion, line up in different places, and they they didn't do that. So is that vanilla game one? You don't want to show Notre Dame what you're going to do? I I don't know, but the idea of everyone's going to key on Marv, but we're not going to let them take away Marv, it, it felt like he was taken away a little bit, and they didn't do their utmost to free him up. And then you see other places where playmakers are getting the ball in their hands, right? Washington got the Mm -hmm. ball to their best guys. Florida State got the ball to their best guys against better teams than Indiana. So that's when, with all the caveats in the world, you just see other teams and it's like, I don't know, man. They they have good receivers and they sure had a lot of action. Why, Why didn't Ohio State? And I just think it's, even in the context, of knowing it's a it's a you know a new quarterback, I, I think it's a reasonable question to ask because this is the world we're in. Yes, Michael Penix has been there. Yes, Jordan Travis has been at Florida State forever. Yes, we, we all know that. But this is the season that we're playing. And week one is in. And everybody was playing week one. And when you think about a world where Ohio State, for the past two years, you certainly could argue was the best passing attack in America. I saw a lot of passing attacks this weekend that were a lot more dangerous than Ohio State. And that, I think, is just unsettling for Ohio State fans, even if you know why that's the case. Yeah, especially even one of those who is not necessarily known as a traditional passing attack is in your own division over in State College. I mean, Drew Aller and those wide receivers look pretty good for Penn State. Ohio State fans, I know a lot of them on Twitter, were not super happy about the fact that Drew Aller was wearing white and blue instead of scarlet and gray, but that's another discussion. I, I You mentioned kind of changing the expectations. And coming out of this game, do you think Ohio State fans need to change their expectations for what this season could become? I mean, it's one game, so obviously things can still turn around, and they're still a contender for a Big Ten title and a national championship. But do you think that they need to downgrade those expectations? And if so, like, 
by how much? 5%, 10%, 50%? Like a one game sample size is, does not a season make, but it is one piece out of 12 regular season games that contribute to who you are going to be by the time November rolls around. No, I don't think they should downgrade it at all. Okay, I, I don't know that it's a surprise. Listen, I think the defense, I think a lot of people, I think you think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you think the defense maybe has a chance to be great? I do. Yeah. And I thought that, yeah, coming into the season and I think that they were still even better than I expected them to be. I don't think any, right. And nothing dissuaded us of that idea. It, you're not going to see the pass rush because Indiana wasn't trying to play actual human offense. They looked like a, a, a <laughs> they looked like the, like the coast guard or like, what's like a junior varsity service yeah. Academy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, like ROTC. If the ROTC yeah. has like a flag football team, I don't even want to compare them to army Navy or air force. That was an embarrassment of what Indiana didn't even try to do on offense. So you can't judge what this defensive line might do getting after the passer, but, as they did, have been saying all camp, the guys in the secondary got their hands on the ball. Sonny Styles flew all over the field. Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers flowed to the football. All that seems like it's going to work. And I thought Jim Knowles was nice and chill. Let's not over blitz. Let's let your players make plays. Let's not make it too complicated, which I think is a good lesson for everybody. I thought that could be really good. The run game, I mean, I think they got some stuff to work out in the run game for sure. And if I, I mean, I certainly was not surprised by the issues I thought that showed up at left tackle. They got to get, that might be the thing that holds them back. But I thought that going into the year and then they didn't use what they did best. So I think the idea of like, I thought maybe the Georgia game plan was just going to be the Ryan day game plan from now on till the end of time. Just Mm -hmm. let it rip. Like, okay, you let it rip against the best team in the country. Let it rip every week all the time. So we didn't see that, but I think that's still in there. So the only thing, I mean, the thing that I would say is there's some good teams out there. You know who looked good? J.J. McCarthy looked good at mm-hmm. Michigan. I think Ohio State fans know Michigan's good. I, 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 I've been, you know, you just got to factor that in to your world. Even if you hate it, there are things that we all hate in this world, but you have to acknowledge they exist. Michigan being good at football is one of those things. So acknowledge that. I thought the Penn State defense flashed certainly at times, not a perfect game, but you see that running attack. Penn State's good. Acknowledge that. I thought Wisconsin looked pretty good. And I continue to think that Sam Hartman at Notre Dame is really working. So that's four really good opponents on the schedule. So if you had any thought of like, ah, I don't know how good they are, they're good. That should be reconfirmed. If that makes you think, if that downgrades your expectations of Ohio State season because you underestimated the opposition, then downgrade it. Don't downgrade it for the Buckeyes because I think it's not a huge shock. There's reason, absolute reason to think they'll come around. Of course, they're going to throw the ball better. Of course they are. But also, they must. So it's one of these things like I don't I don't want to give them a pass for week one and be like, ah, it's just week one. But I also don't think anybody should overly panic. Um, but But the thing is, they will get better, but they have to get better because there are some people out there slinging it, man. And there are some really good run games. Like there are some good teams out there and Ohio state's going to have to rise up significantly, but I think they can. You mentioned the fact that you got to watch a lot of other teams play this weekend. And that is because at least in part, 
you did not travel to go to Indiana to see this game. And I don't know how many games it's been during your time covering Ohio State, but I can't imagine it's more than a handful that you were not with the team. How did you like that? Did you did you enjoy it? Did you dislike it? What were your feelings coming off of a, a week where you were going to now be watching games from home in order to do the post-game show immediately after the conclusion of the contest? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I started covering Ohio State in the second game of the 2005 season. So my first game was Ohio State-Texas, Vince Young. And mm-hmm. I did not miss a single game through the end of the 2019 season. So I was at an Ohio State game every Saturday for however, you know, 100, whatever, all that time. So that's just my life. And it's been my life. I didn't travel during the pandemic. And then after that, you know, I, I've skipped the Rutgers trip maybe in the last year or two. I think I skipped the Nebraska trip, but it certainly is not the norm for me. But with what is a kind of a different role for me, more of a northern college football thing, a lot of Ohio State, not only Ohio State. And as you said, we're doing a live post game show right after the game, me and Bill Landis at the podcast. Uh, that's just the world we're in. But then as it turned out, I tested positive for COVID on Saturday morning. So I wouldn't oh. have been in the press box anyway. So I was sweating <laughs> through the post game show um, with, I mean, it's, you know, it's this new version of COVID. It's not that bad. So I didn't feel great, but I couldn't have gone to the game anyway, as it turned out. But I just sort of have to accept it. It's a little bit, it's a little bit to me like Ryan day of, I actually am giving up play calling, right? Ryan day couldn't quite do it. But when you're covering the teams, like I cover this one team, I'm there all the time. I'm in the post game. I'm asking questions. I'm trying to get to people. I'm doing right. You're focused on one team. But if I want to, you know, if I want to step back a little bit and have a broader view of things, then I, I can't be in the film room every Tuesday night for four hours on just Ohio state. I have to have a broader view. So Ryan Day's going through it. He's having trouble. He had trouble giving up the play calling. I've kind of handed over the playbook, and I'm willing to take more of a CEO role. It's weird, but I'm happy with it. Well, I I know I'm loving everything you guys are doing, and I'm looking forward to Kings of the North, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But one of the things you mentioned was not being in the press conferences post-game. And I know you're still there during the week, or at least you have been uh, so far this season. And I always think I've watched as many of the media availabilities as I possibly can. And I've always thought that you and Lori Schmidt, when she still went to the pressers have always had the best questions. And maybe that might be because you were a columnist more than a beat reporter for the last couple of years. But I've always thought that you guys asked questions that kind of got to things differently than pretty much anybody else. So when you get ready to ask a question in a press conference, what is your approach? Are you, working towards a specific angle or are you trying to come up with something that the coach, whomever it is, doesn't have a pre-canned answer for? Like, what are you thinking about when you're crafting a question waiting to get, to get called on by Jerry? Yeah. Eliciting actual honest information is the goal. So yeah, you've got to get past the pre-canned answer. I'm very much in favor of putting the canned answer in the question. So then they can't use it. And you actually have to ask a question. You can't just say, oh, you know, coach, uh, the defense, what do you you think? You know, like that's that's not a question. I try to think like a fan thinks. And and again, in social media age, you I don't even have to think like a fan thinks like the fans tell me what they think. And I always try to keep in mind that if you could fit one hundred and fifty thousand people in the postgame news conference, then that's what we do. And we go one by one and be like, question thirty eight thousand four hundred sixteen. Steve, you're up. What's your question? But we can't do that. So we are there on behalf of the fans. So I'm trying to get to what the fans really care about. And that means 
trying to like, you know, not trick the people, but don't let them off easy. Right. And, and ask the thing that is obvious, but maybe difficult um, or maybe not so obvious, but really the underlying thing that the whole game's about. So I don't mean to be a people ever think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a weirdo about this. kind. Of, that's, it's one of the things I'm proud of in my time. Like I, I do think I, I do think I ask good questions. I think I, tr- I really mm-hmm. try to think about it because it's not about, it's not just the topic. It's the way you ask about it. And it is always in service of getting honest, relevant information and not getting cliches. And I'm not there to get in a fight with somebody, but if the elephant in the room is there, like you have to ask it. And then when you get old, you don't care what anybody thinks. So I'm 50 now. So, you know, when you're, in, when you're in your twenties, I used to be very nervous about asking questions, but when you're 50, you're just, you know, trying to stay alive to the next day. So um, I will miss that, but I'll still be there most Tuesdays and trying to follow up if uh, something didn't get asked after the game. Is, have you seen during your time, a transition from the different coaching staffs throughout the years to how willing they are to kind of answer those questions openly and honestly? Cause it seems to me just watching, like there's a, a grand Canyon size gap between the way that urban Meyer answered questions and the way that Ryan day answered questions. And I think it's, I think Ryan day has moved even further away during his four plus years as head coach. Yeah. I mean, Tressel, first of all, Tressel was just like a filibuster in action, right? Yeah. Like Tress was great. Tress would seize on a word you used in the question to like, not even get to the question. You know, if you, if you, um, right. If, if you said, uh, it felt like there was a Grand Canyon-sized gap in the way you guys played in the first half and the second half. Trust would say, you know, the Grand Canyon. Well, where did you come <laughs> up with that one? That's an odd. Why didn't you use an Ohio National Monument instead of one? Yeah, and it's yeah. like, oh my God, I just wanted to find, <laughs> compare the first half to the second half. So he would he would just like he really was good at not answering anything. Urban early on was like super honest, like almost like shockingly honest, right? The receiver mm-hmm. room's a clown show kind of thing. Um, I do think Ryan is pretty good, especially on the offensive side of the ball. It's been hard with offensive head coaches. Sometimes you want to really dig in on defense and they're just kind of like, I don't know. So we do get Knowles a decent amount of the time, but I think Ryan's pretty good on um, digging in on like the, you know, what happened versus what you were trying to have happen there and like the strategy of the game. And I do think that's come around a lot. I'm really interested in sort of strategy, whether that relates to recruiting, whether that relates to personnel usage, whether that relates to play calling and and situations within the game. And I think Ryan's pretty good at that if you can lead him down the right path. Yeah, it's it's about making sure you take away any off ramps that he could possibly have Absolutely. and make sure that he's right there. Well, I mentioned uh, Kings of the North and you're doing Kings of Columbus with with Bill as well. This is obviously a new venture for you coming from The Plain Dealer and then Cleveland.com. So for people who maybe aren't listening to the podcast feed, what, what? is the pl- – Those people I, exist? I, I Look, I listen every day. I listen to everything you guys put out, except for the live shows. I, I usually don't do the live shows because uh, that's like the third episode in one day. So it's it's it's, it's too yeah. much to, to get to. But I'm, I, I'm loving what you guys are doing with Kings of Columbus, and you're going to expand that to the Kings of the North. So for – for people who haven't listened yet, give them the reason on why they should be listening to what you're doing now and what you're going to be doing in the coming weeks, months, whatever the timetable is for this new incarnation of the show. Yeah, it's why I left Cleveland.com, which was a great place to work, great people, great bosses, great opportunity, 18 years there. And so I left that to do a Northern College football show. And we are going to call that Kings of the North. But we are not all the way there yet. 
Uh, we are in the process of hiring people for that. We are still in the process of, I, I, know what the, I know what that show is, but we don't have all, you know, the T's crossed and the I's dotted. So we are not launching that right away. What we have been doing is Kings of Columbus. And just to be clear, Landis and I are not the Kings. We're not the Kings. Right? <laughs> uh, some, would, some would differ. Some, some people might argue. I have a gigantic ego, but I, even I would not name a show after myself calling myself a king. So the Kings of Columbus are the Buckeyes, but it's a play on Kings of the North. And like maybe like if this thing actually works, maybe someday we have a huge network of Kings of Madison, Kings of Ann Arbor, Kings of State College, and we have a whole network of podcasts and we're doing that 30 years from now. The idea with Kings of the North is I feel like there's a a societal and cultural shorthand for Southern football that it's, it's mostly sec, but not only sec. I mean, I think when Clemson's rolling or Florida state wins uh, on Sunday night, or, you know, now that Texas is joining the sec, but I think, and I don't even know that I have to describe that. Right. Do you know, Matt, like yeah. when I say that, don't people know what I mean? The, yeah, the culture absolutely. of Southern football. Yeah. I live in Florida, so I know very well exactly what you're talking yeah. about. So I want that for the North, the top half of the country. We're going to create that. And I don't know that we have it the same way. So that's what Kings of the North is going to be about. We've identified 28 teams that we claim it's the big 10 plus, you know, I mean, they're they're We had the idea for the show and then the big 10 added Oregon and Washington. <laughs> we're like, Oh, is that great or terrible? Like we were already going to add Oregon and Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Oregon, Washington, Washington state, Oregon state, Utah, Colorado, Iowa state, Cincinnati, West Virginia, Notre Dame, BYU, Boston college, Syracuse Pitt, and the big 10 Northern Northern football. We want to talk about it, how you go about winning, what the standards are, what fans like, what fans eat, how fans embrace that sport. And, and we want to help, in a world where conferences aren't about geography anymore, I do think geography still matters to college football. So we have to define it ourselves. And that's what we're going to do. So Kings of Columbus, Landis and I are doing that two or three times a week. It's an Ohio State show. But we are dipping our toe, and we just are putting this out on Monday, September 4th, was our first kind of version of Kings of the North. It's on Kings of Columbus, but we're showing you what that show is going to be. We rank the best teams in the North. We rank the best players in the North. We talk about the best Northern teams versus the best Southern teams who would win. It's all about Northern football. Eventually, this is a long winded answer because there's a lot going on. That's great. The goal and the, not the goal. What's going to happen is by this time next year, by the start of next season and possibly before we'll be doing that five days a week, two hours a day on a YouTube show, Kings of the North hosted by me, Landis by my side, maybe other people involved, but we want to create that. We want to give everybody who loves football in the top half of the country a home to celebrate that, to contextualize that. And every now and then we're going to tell the South to cram it because <laughs> the South has a lot of shows like this. And I don't know that the North has any or certainly not enough. So we want to embrace that. We want fans to be proud of that. We want them to realize that, yeah, you are connected there. You know what? A football fan in Oregon and a football fan in Pittsburgh do have a little bit in common, probably more in common than, you know, somebody living in Alabama. So that's what we're doing. But for now, you can find us on the podcast feed. So if you're looking on, on YouTube or on a podcast feed, look for the podcast. Kings of Columbus will pop in a couple times a week in the title within that podcast feed. And then Kings of the North is coming. That was a super long answer. You're very kind to let me do it.
No, no, no. I, I love it. And like I said, I live in Florida and I've lived in Georgia. So I, I understand the Southern mindset and you're right. Like whether it's Paul Feinbaum or, you know, a a bunch of other podcasts, there is this thing. And that's why you see Vanderbilt fans chanting SEC when LSU or Alabama or Georgia does something. And you don't have that same thing in the big 10 or anywhere else in the North. There is definitely a much different approach to the regional aspect of football in the Southern part of the country than there is in the Northern. So I'm excited to see what you guys do with that. Um, I'll wrap it up with a couple more uh, Ohio state questions here. You and Bill talked quite a bit in the offseason and, and even in the postgame show about the fact that you anticipated the process of selecting the starting quarterback to be run well. One, because Ryan Day was a quarterback, so he understands it. And even though he wasn't here, he has certainly heard plenty about how the 2015 quarterback battle was completely mangled and, and done terribly wrong. It seemed like Ryan Day had a pretty good process and plan. It seemed like everything he was talking about made sense. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a huge gap between the two. So it was close enough that they were both going to play and they were going to let it play out over the first couple weeks of the season. That obviously didn't happen. So to me, we talked about trust earlier. It seems to me that maybe Ryan Day didn't even trust himself in that process. And do you think it is just like you were talking about the whole dating thing earlier? Is it just that his eyes were opened once he was in a game where it didn't exactly go according to plan and Indiana did a little bit more on defense than he anticipated? Or is it a bigger issue where Ryan Day seems to kind of say one thing, whether that's the play calling, giving it up or trying to get backup quarterbacks more time or rotating here and then abandons it? Or was it just specific to this game and in this situation, do you think? Because I, I think there's a lot of fans that are worried that this is a bigger trend that Ryan Day gets anxious and pulls back and goes and hides in a turtle shell if things don't go exactly according to plan. Hmm. I can buy that it's not the first time that that has happened. I. It's why I really like the idea of him giving up play calling. Yeah. And it is much more about the time spent during the week on the little nitty gritty specifics of analyzing practice and installing a a game plan. It's much more about that than it is on Saturday, but then even on Saturday, it's, you have so many things going on and Ryan day, as he has retained play calling is three things. He's the head coach. He's the offensive coordinator and he's the quarterback's coach. He is. Right. Does anybody dispute that? I mean, he's a quarterbacks coach. He's a guy who talks to starting quarterbacks. So that's a lot, especially in something like this, where you are, where those three jobs, you're trying to do three different things. The head coach is trying to win the game against Indiana. The offensive play caller is trying to move the ball, score points and set up whoever is the quarterback for success, acknowledging their different skill sets. And the quarterback's coach is trying to get both guys ready and want it to be fair to both guys because you're kind of focused in on your room, right? Those really, they're obviously connected, but it's kind of three different goals. And so in the end, I think Ryan Day, the head coach, who's in charge of winning the game, like sort of superseded the offensive play caller and the quarterback's coach, which is right because you do (laughs) have to win the game. But then I, I do think if it was still divided up a little bit more, you, if you had a quarterback's coach saying in the head coach's ear, listen, you got to get them in. You got to get them in. You're going to be fine. I swear to you, it's going to be fine. They're both ready. We said we were going to play both. We have to play both, but you don't have that because it, he's having that conversation 
It's like forced multiple personality disorder that you're three things at once. You're three personalities fighting in your own head. And so I just think the thing you don't want to do is say one thing and do the other. And at least to the public, that's what happened. Maybe it's not quite what happened with the quarterbacks. We don't know for sure. That's what matters more. But it felt like it was a, a, a thing that didn't have to happen. He sort of created. He created a set of expectations yeah. that he then didn't meet. Well, it's his own expectations. Nobody said, Ryan, you must continue the quarterback battle into the season. He said that, but then he didn't. So it just creates, I think, unnecessary conflict. In the end, all that matters really for right now is good quarterback play from somebody. But process really matters to me a lot. And so I do think it's something to add to the list of like, eh, the process wasn't necessarily the best. I think the decision in the end will probably be the right one. And the quarterback play, I don't know that it will be affected. But I do think if it works out this way, I, I wonder what effect it will have on Devin Brown. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the, I don't know if conspiracy theory is the right word, but one of the expl exp explanations that a lot of people thought might have been at play coming out of fall camp as well. You want to keep both guys happy. You want to make sure that they're both getting a chance so they don't get disgruntled and, and leave at some point. But at this point, you just have to get the right guy into the game and, and make sure that they're doing everything they can to help the team win. But wrap it up on a on a positive here, Doug. Coming out of this game, like you said, I think a lot of the issues were things that we anticipated coming in. But if there was one thing that surprised you from this team on either side of the ball, or if you want to go special teams, I guess you can do that as well, um, in a positive way, something that you weren't expecting to see, but it did come out in, in some form or fashion better than you expected on Saturday against Indiana. Is, is everybody's answer to this question the chip truck? We're worshiping the name still, right? Are we, are we all in the chip truck? I think that I mean, that's the only answer, but that's the right nickname too. I think that's a good nickname. That's in England. That's the truck that brings you French fries is, is yeah. the chip truck. Yeah. So <laughs> if somebody, if there's a French fry place out there that if you, I mean, if you could just have chip train him walking around campus and if you walked up to him, he would give you French fries. It's and a great that, NIL. I, I mean, come on. We're just trying to make everybody some money. Yeah. So like that's, <laughs> that's good. Right. I don't know. It's one of those things like what happens when the guy who you think maybe is like, Number three and a half on the running back chart looks like your best running back. Is that a good thing or not a good thing? I didn't think, I don't know that anyone would say Trevor Henderson was bad, right? I mean, it felt like there was some interior run stuff that wasn't hidden, but yeah. I do think we all love explosive backs. I do think Ryan Day likes a physical back who hits the hole. And if Mayans maybe still banged up a little bit, like Chip Trainum does that. Chip Trainum played well in the Michigan game last year. Like Chip Trainum's a baller man he's a he's a really physical a physical dude fast and strong but he's clearly smart because he can play both sides of the ball and like he just he's just ready for whatever you ask him to do so the idea that it's just amazing to me that you can be the tailback all the way down the field and the fullback in the red zone it's like hey thanks for getting us down the field nice job with the six carries by the way could you block for someone now is wild to me so he's mitch rossi Andy's Carlos Hyde? Like, what are we doing? But um, it's not a bad thing to have an unexpected good player. I think he will help them all season. But I'll be curious how that running back room really shakes out. I just don't think you can legitimately give three guys carries, like in, any, in, a, in a real, real meaningful way. So when mine gets all the way healthy, and if Trey, Travion's going to be Trevion, I'll be curious to see how it shakes out. But I think Chip's part of it. 
Yeah, and it was interesting to see how they used him not only at tailback and at fullback, but also kind of as an H-back and maybe even yep. as a tight end at time, at times. So it certainly feels like they want to get him involved, and he's clearly earned it from being willing to kind of bounce around between positions and pretty much doing well uh, anywhere he goes, not unlike Cade Stover playing multiple positions in recent years as well. And he ended up being the leading receiver in this game, which I can pretty much guarantee very few people would have predicted going into Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I think the Kate Stover over under on yards was like 22 and a half. So that was a good bet. But I don't know that anyone thought it'd be 90. No, not at all. Well, Doug, thank you so much for taking the time to chat about the game and everything going on over the podcast feed and Kings of the North. I'm very much looking forward to having even more from you uh, in our ears moving forward. And uh, I appreciate everything that you're doing and look forward to following along throughout the course of the season. Always uh, appreciate talking with you, Matt. Great fun to join you again. And thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant In Conversation. Also, thank you, of course, to the always phenomenal Doug Lay Maurice. I will have links in the show notes for where you can follow Doug on social media, as well as where you can listen to the podcast and all of the different things coming out of that feed. If you found this episode on our website, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your daily dose of audio goodness. We are giving you one two, sometimes three different podcast episodes every single day throughout the football season with voices and focuses that you won't hear anywhere else in the Buckeye podcasting universe. Also, leave us a five-star rating and review if you wouldn't mind. We would really appreciate it. You can follow me on social media at Matt. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at LandGrantPods. And you can follow the site at LandGrant33. Thanks again for listening. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.